0: Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true
1: crime. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in true crime. It is not just a tagline, it is our reality. This is a live, special episode of STS It is live coverage and analysis of Charlie Adelson's sentencing. This murder happened back on July 18th, 2014. Dan Markell sadly passed away the next day, July 19th. It's been nine plus years. Finally, the day of reckoning has come. Jeremy, you've actually followed us uh, much longer than I have. Did you think that this day would ever come?
2: I did, although I thought in the beginning it would be a a bumpy road. Um, I think podcasts like this, I think some of the people that were friends of Dan that, you know, initially drew attention to this helped get us to this point. And of course, you know, Georgia, FBI, Sarah Catherine Dugan, TPD all worked really hard to get to this point. But I'm glad it's come before the 10 year mark. To me, that was important. And uh, I'm thankful to see this day for Dan Markell's family, all the people that that cared about him.
1: And, uh, Jeremy, I'm going to have you remind everyone of the books that you have written because Jeremy is also an author. As a matter of fact, that is in his podcast handle. But here, Cecilia is watching us in Brazil. Welcome uh, to you. And then we've got Jan, who just popped up from – where did she go? From Belfast. And then we've got England in the house. Why do you think, first of all, everyone, the names of your books, but why do you think it has garnered such global attention this case?
2: My books, the first one was The Chance I'll Take. The second is called Don't Call It Murder, and I explore some of the themes uh, of wealth and, and maybe privilege and entitlement and you know beauty, things like that. And I think that's some of the reasons people are drawn to this case it touches on those things. We, we, we like a mystery. We like a whodunit. This case checks off those boxes. We, we like something, I think, you know, maybe something innate in us. Uh, It's almost like a, but for the grace of God, go I type thing. You know, we see a dysfunctional marriage or divorce uh, or relationship. Many of us have had those, but it doesn't get that far to a, to a homicide. So I think it kind of, you know, just, we wired to, to be intrigued by that. And I think the fact that people are getting away with it or, or it looked like people were getting away with this for a long time, you know, just, just really stirred up a lot of interest and uh, people kind of want to be a, a, a little bit of a detective, you know, armchair detective. And I think this case appealed to them in that sense. Um, people want to, you know, have some resolution and it seemed like the evidence was so clear and nothing was happening, it, it seemed, you know, and we've talked before, you know, some of the, the backstory to why the case went the way it did. And, you know, and I think people just saw a young, successful person taken in the prime of his life. And that, and that really captured people's imagination
1: worldwide, you know, as, as we're seeing. Very well put. And uh, speaking of worldwide, look at this. I haven't seen this from Abu Dhabi. You've got, and this is back to back here in the comments Buckinghamshire, England, Vancouver, Toronto, of course, Dan Markell's home. Romania. I've not seen a lot of these countries ever before. We've got Cape Town, South Africa, watching from Ireland. These are literally back to back. Philippines. Then you've got Manila, which is obviously in the Philippines. Wow. I've never seen. This many uh, countries from around the world in one show. So welcome to one and all. It is great to have you, Durban, South Africa, rainy, Cape Town, South Africa, and then you got Wesley John Holmes, who's originally from Australia, a friend of the sh- show, checking in from Tokyo. Wow, I'm uh, I am humbled and amazed by this. Uh, you've got Leia from Australia, and uh, we're keeping tabs on this courtroom. Judge Stephen Everett, he's the judge who presided over this case. He will be uh, conducting uh, the sentencing today of Charlie Adelson. And uh, if I'm seeing correctly, we've got Daniel Rashbaum. I'm looking at this backstage, and we'll bring it up in just a a little bit. But, Jeremy, especially especially for people um, around the world who are not here in the United States, Please just walk us through this sentencing process. What will happen once the judge gavels this session uh, in today?
2: Well, in Florida in particular, I think in many jurisdictions, um, the victims have a right to make an impact statement. So the the immediate family or loved ones of Dan Markell will have an opportunity to tell the court and tell Charlie Adelson and tell the world uh, the impact of this crime and what it did to them and to their family. So that's a big part of it. Of course, the state will also get to recommend a sentence to the court um, and the defense will get to present evidence, testimony, argument. That was what would tend to mitigate the, the sentence. Um, they would make a request that might be lesser than what the state has in mind. However, in this case, on, on the main charge, first degree homicide, that's punishable by life. And in Florida, life means exactly that, life in prison. You have two other counts that are first-degree felonies as well. And so the defense may argue for a concurrent sentence on those. The court will ultimately make a decision to decide what to do. The court will have to impose the life uh, sentence on the homicide. The court could do consecutive terms on the other two life, um, or excuse me, first-degree felonies or he could run them consecutive, or excuse me, concurrent. So um, in in a way, it's just symbolic. If you say your life in prison, consecutive, count two and three, that's kind of a symbolic thing.
1: Um, There we go. You see the screen. You see Charlie Adelson. This is our first glimpse of him today. Dorothy's on vacation in London, happy to spend a rainy afternoon in her hotel. Uh, Charlie, uh, obviously, you can see the growth. Uh, During the trial, uh, there was no beard. Uh, He didn't have a beard. Uh, audio is not up yet. You see the bells by his side. He's in his prison jumpsuit. Ironically, a shade different. Um, he's looking back to see who's in the gallery right now. But uh, his mother was in more of a purplish blue jumpsuit. So ironic, Jeremy, because they are literally sitting in the exact same chairs, in the exact same courtroom. Um, right now, Charlie Adelson is conferring with his uh, lead counsel. Daniel Rashbaum, who I have to say is a good guy with a difficult case and some bad facts. Um, He is speaking uh, with his client more like Charlie is speaking to him right now. Curious to see what, if anything, Charlie Adelson says. But I noticed him walk in with a folder uh, in his uh, shackled hands, handcuffed hands. So it appears he's going to have something to say. But I can almost guarantee you it's going to be to benefit himself uh, when this case Um, undoubtedly goes up on appeal. Uh, What's your impression of seeing this right now, Jeremy?
2: I mean, he looks a little bit more calm than I might have thought. Um, He looks a little bit more gray than last time. And I think that's understandable. Uh, It's anybody's guess whether he'll speak. I think in some ways he'd be better off not to say anything. Uh, If he does speak and and kept it short and uh, was humble and, showed some remorse for at least Dan's death. Uh, You know, it may look a little bit more favorable for him. I, I just wonder if he, if he'll be able to control himself and not want to talk for 30 minutes and, you know, avoid all responsibility. And I don't expect him to admit anything, of course, but I mean, in the sense that you would say, this is a horrible tragedy. What happened to Dan? I had nothing to do with it. You know, I'm asking the court's mercy, at least on these other two counts to run them concurrent or give me uh, a lesser sentence of uh, rather than 30 years on those other two. There's nothing the court really can do on the murder charge that's life in prison. Um, But he could, he could display some grace. He could try to, you know, put himself in a more favorable light. I don't, I don't know that he really has that in him to do it, but, but we'll see. Maybe I'll be wrong. Mm -hmm.
1: By the way, WCTV, the local station in Tallahassee, is the pool camera for this, for all the media outlets. Uh, appreciate the hard work that they're doing uh, to bring this to everyone. And we should get audio. We're still uh, exactly five minutes away. And like I said, Judge Stephen Everett is usually quite prompt. Um, another, and There's audio up now. Uh, another thing, and I'm going to keep the audio up here um, just in case something is said uh michelle michelle Cavernos, knows otherwise known as mish in south africa letting us know look how new people from south africa in cape town uh really incredible i've never seen this kind of uh global turnout um for any sts event till now uh, i don't want to make anyone feel bad but this is perhaps the most important place new jersey my home state it's got my other hat underneath here, representing my home state. Got Michigan, Ontario, Toronto, Ontario, Canada again, the home of uh, Dan Markell. Speaking of the Markells, and welcome to new YouTube member uh, Sander Mayhew, Mayhew. You can support us on Patreon and/or become a YouTube member. If you can't do that, I know, I know times are tough and people have a lot of gifts to get this holiday mm-hmm. season. Please, please, please uh, check us out on our audio platforms, Spotify, Apple, Audible, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you could give us five stars and listen to us on those when you're in the car, that helps us a tremendous amount. So uh, please be aware of that. We've also got the merch store open, so uh, check that out as well. Queensland, Australia um, is in the house, as is Chesapeake Bay, Virginia. So very heavily represented around the globe. So Jeremy, I didn't realize this, but um, the Markels have decided to divvy up the victim impact statement. So the only Markel family member we're going to hear from today is the patriarch, Phil Markel, Dan's father. He's a man of few words. Great guy. I met him at the trial, and he and I are in close touch. Um, you know, we text frequently. We talk frequently. You know, he told me when I first met him that he's a bit of an introvert. But once you get to know him, he, he likes to talk, and he's really interesting. Uh, we had him on the show recently. I expect this to be very powerful because because he doesn't speak often and I know he's got very strong feelings. How emotional do these victim impact statements uh, become? And are you surprised that only Phil is uh, the one delivering these remarks today?
2: They can become very emotional. And I think that can be both in uh, sort of angry and you know tears and everything. Uh, I'm not surprised. I think in some ways I expect his, he is somebody that when he does speak, you really listen to him because he doesn't, he hasn't (laughs) spoken a lot over the years. And I've watched him when he does speak. He's very articulate and very, very good. He is two minutes
3: early,
1: two minutes early, very prompt. Good. So let's let's look in right now. West Africa in the house.
3: I'm going to turn on the Zoom. And once I'm logged in at that point, we will move forward.
1: By the way, this is interesting. He's turning on the Zoom. That is how Phil Markell is going to deliver. Phil, the Markells are not in the courtroom. Hello from Vietnam. This is where Donna Adelson Was trying to get to Rue, Dubai. So uh, ironic that Mr. South of Boston is coming to us. Good morning, Vietnam. Late evening there. And one other thing to note while uh, the judge is turning on the Zoom here, Fort Lauderdale right here, this is where uh, Charlie Adelson's house is. And Lita Randolph was in the house in Fort Lauderdale. She's a friend of the show. Uh, good morning. Janet watching here from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Pino Noir from the UK. Um, one of the things that I found out, upwards of 40 people are writing or have written also to d- judge Stephen Everett. These are friends and other family members of the Markel. They're not oh. gonna be read today, but it's just to be put on the record. <laughs> Jeremy, what is the importance of that?
3: That's a lot. And I and as with all things computers, it needs an update. Let's go ahead and make the appearances while the computer is performing its function.
4: George Kaplman and Sarah Dugan for the state, Your Honor. Good morning, Your Honor. Dan Rashbaum on behalf of Mr. Adelson, who is present.
3: And we're here this morning for final disposition after jury trial in Mr. Adelson's case. Did either the state or the defense have anything they needed to raise concerning the pre-sentence investigation report? Nothing from the state, Your Honor. No, Your Honor. Very well. The pre-sentence investigation report will be filed as a part of the court record. Once the Zoom has finished updating, from there I will open up the Zoom room and I believe the victim's families were intending to either be present or make additional victim impact statements. Mr. Yes, Senator. We have several members of the
4: family that will be present and one that will be speaking on that. the
3: Very well, Mr. Rothbaum. Does your client wish to make a statement, or will you be making any argument on behalf of Counts Two and Three?
0: Both both of us will be making a very uh, quick quick statement. Uh, I'll make a quick argument, and uh, Mr. Nielsen would like to make a very quick statement.
3: You'll be given the opportunity to do so. First, we will take the victim impact statements. If the parties are intending to sign into the Zoom, you may do so. Just make sure your devices are on mute so it does not create any feedback
1: or problems. You heard that. Charlie's going to give a brief statement. That is interesting. And so will Daniel Rashbaum. He will make an argument Uh, when we get a break. Ask Jeremy about that. Jeremy, let's ask you about that quickly, since we do have a little bit of a gap here. What does that mean that Daniel Rashbaum is going to give some sort of argument in regards to the other two sentences? What is the point of that? Well, to get a little bit less, instead of 30 years
2: on those, um, you know, it could be 30 years consecutive to his last sentence, and he may ask to run them concurrent. It's a it's a very small thing, uh, but maybe symbolic, and, you know, he wants to uh, do all he can for his client, and... Uh, you know, if Charlie wants to be heard. I'm, I'm not surprised that he wants to have kind of one of the last words in this. Uh, but I think ultimately
1: uh, Phil Markell is going to have the last word and, and Judge Everett more so. Is it a moot point, though, because he's going to prison for the rest of his natural life. So is this a uh, a moot point? It, it is. It's
2: symbolic. But a lot of things in a in a trial are symbolic and uh you know, if if he wants to maintain the appearance of being innocent, maybe in his own mind, he's, he's going to say something. I didn't do this. Um, you know, I ask for mercy and obviously an
1: attorney of this caliber.
3: Good morning, Mr. Markel. OK, this, you, sir?
1: this is Phil Markel on the Zoom. Let's listen in here.
3: I believe Mr. Markel and Shelly Markel have now joined. Ms. Kappelman, how many additional members of the family were you expecting?
1: Shelly is the the sit- Dan's sister and the daughter of Ruth and Phil. I have
0: my mother with me, Ruth with, with Markell
3: with me. I was about to ask that question.
4: All right, Judge, I think we're ready.
3: All right. Good morning. At this time, we are going to start with the victim impact statements. Mr. Markell, I understand you are going to provide it today on behalf of the family? Yes,
0: thank you.
3: You may speak when you're ready. Take all the time you need.
0: Good morning, Your Honor. My name is Phil Martel. I am Dan Martel's father. Dan, my only son, was born October 9, 1972, in Montreal, Quebec. During that time in Quebec, husbands were not allowed to actually be in the delivery room during a child's birth. However, since the obstetrician was a very close friend of ours, I was allowed to experience the most amazing of moments, the birth of my son. I will never forget the emergence of his head and then those shoulders of an NFL football fullback a boy of 10 pounds. There I was holding in my arms, this gift of life, my bundle of absolute sheer joy. From the time he was a child, my son had tremendous energy, intelligence, and great warmth. Dan had a vibrant, fun-loving personality and lived life to his fullest. Danny loved to socialize, dance, cook, entertain, and play sports, and dedicated himself wholeheartedly to everything that he did. He always looked to do his utmost to improve and achieve better results in every activity that he did. This desire of improvement and commitment to excellence was a defining characteristic of his short life. I fondly remember taking Danny skiing up the hill in the Laurentian Mountains in Quebec when he was just two years old. He rode up the mountain between my legs, holding on to the T bar. And then coming down the hill, yelling with great joy, faster, Dan, faster. Then as he grew a little older, he played hockey at the local park. To improve his skating skills, he requested to take a speed skating lesson with a local coach who was from Russia. And he had a very uh, a reputation of being a very tough coach. Then persevered, and after every hockey lesson, he came off the ice with a red face, totally out of breath, because he always did it his all. At about the age of 13, Danny <clears throat> developed the idea that he was going to Harvard University for his college education. He discovered that the acceptance requirements for Harvard were not only good grades, but also work for the community and charitable work. To achieve these goals, he revived his high school newspaper, He became the newspaper's editor, the business manager, and performed charitable deeds and volunteered in the community. After years of hard work and determination, Stan was accepted to Harvard. He graduated from Harvard, Madden Cum Laude, went on to study at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem for one year, and then earned a Master in the Philosophy and Political Theory from Emmanuel College at the University of Cambridge in England. He returned thereafter to Harvard Law School to earn his law degree, and went on to become an extremely successful lawyer, influential legal scholar. Dan served as a law firm for a federal judge, worked as an associate at a prestigious law firm in Washington, DC, and then secured a prestigious teaching position at FSU College of Law. In a few short years, Dan became a full-tenured law professor before the tender age of 41. Quite unusual. Dan co-authored a book and published many articles in highly regarded law journals and newspapers like the New York Times. Dan's work was influential and he gave lectures and presented at universities around the world. Although Dan was fond of his Canadian roots, he was very dedicated to DFS
5: law school and
0: the Tallahassee community. He was recognized as a scholar who contributed and made a difference in the world. While Dan's career was important to him, family meant everything to Dan. <clears throat> Dan's marriage produced two boys, Benjamin
1: That is on their end, and uh, we are working to get that sure. back for you. Um Sometimes the pool feed takes a hit. Um Looks like we've, we're have we getting it back. Stand by. ...and
0: we can absolute world and the love to him. that he is a voice in Montreal and to attend every family fair and visit with all the extended Markel family, including Granada Fair, and visit with all the extended Martel family, including grandparents, uncles, aunts, and many numerous cousins. Despite the distance, <coughs> Dan felt that the boys had to know and be a part of family. Dan also made sure that he and the boys participated in the Tallahassee community. They were involved in the local synagogue. Dan left home at the young age of 17 to go to Harvard, but he always came home for summer vacations, holidays, and all family functions. Danny and I, despite the fact that we lived quite far apart, regularly communicated by text. Email and phone calls. <clears throat> Despite the physical distance, as time was on, we grew ever so much closer. At Dan's suggestion, we would plan to talk and have a meal together. At the appointed day and time, we each would prepare our meals, set our table with a tablet in the middle, and over Skype, we would sit together and enjoy each other's company. For a couple of hours, despite the actual distance. Dan's life, <coughs> me, Dan's life was abruptly cut short, and he was forever taken from me, his boys, and the rest of our family, and all his many friends and colleagues. My life has been as total disarray to, to stand murder. <laughs> Many nights I wake up in the middle of the night in a terrible sweat. with thought of Dan's murder and all that have happened. There is not a single day in my life since Danny's death that in one way or another he does not enter into my thoughts, And I miss him with all my heart. I am constantly reminded of Dan's murder and his death. When I meet new people, the topic of discussion always comes up when I ask whether I have children. How do I respond? It is difficult to put into words the heinous acts that soak Daniel away from us, the unthinkable pain that I must live with every single day. Losing a son or a daughter is something I wish nobody, nobody should have to experience. It's not in the order of nature. <clears throat> Danny is never coming back. We continue to hope and pray for justice and the return to normalcy of seeing and playing a vital role in the lives of our two grandsons, Ben and Lee. It's been a number of years since that last roll of two vaccinations, sharing how Danny's death has affected me. <laughs> Despite our persistent efforts, we still do not have a real relationship that he's been Visits are limited and very controlled. For six years, we were denied any and all visits with the boys. In the last two years, I've been permitted two 60 to 90-minute visits supervised visits. This limited contact is incredibly painful. I feel like we have cut out of our lives. Not only have I lost my son, but I have effectively lost two of my grandkids as well. Even their family names have been changed from Markell to Adelson. While we work hard to help introduce a new bill in the state of Florida known as the Markell Act, which gives grandparents important rights, unfortunately our relationship is better linked it has not been material and proof. As this bill was coming to fruition, there was a lot of negative publicity in the draft of media about having ex-wife Wendy. <clears throat> in my opinion, Wendy was focused on improving her public image, and as a result, extended an invitation to us to Ben's Barnesville. Ruth and I were invited to attend only the ceremonial part of this important stage. In the Jewish Lord's life, and we were not invited to participate in any reception typical of this celebration. <clears throat> but this invitation opened the door to one of the visits described above. In order not to not overwhelm the on this important day, we asked <coughs> We asked to arrange a meeting before the barbeds in order to make things easier on the boys who we hadn't been allowed to visit in years. We were able to arrange a brief 90-minute supervised visit to Spenum Loonkid and a few weeks before the, the barbeds. However, <clears throat> immediately after our brief visit, Charles was arrested and Wendy we extended in our invitation to the barbeds. At the time, she said that they were going to either go forward or to cancel the Barnett's for Ceremony. Neither of those happened. <clears throat> Take your time, sir. <clears throat> Instead, my understanding is that the Adelsons went on to have the Barnett's Ceremony and Party all without the Markel Foundation's presence or participation. Missing out of this important moment in Ben's life was incredibly painful. After so many years without them, we had hoped
1: to make uh Once again, that is uh, the pool camera um, buffering there. We're going to get it back up. Uh, just stand by. Uh, as you can tell, Phil Markell is, here we go, It's coming back.
0: ...progress in forging a consistent relationship with itself to this the life cycle of that. Dan's murder brought his life abruptly to an end for no sensible reason and has affected a countless number of people. The legal community is deprived of Dan's wisdom and ideas, which make the world a better place. Dan's students are deprived of the experience of having Dan as a brilliant professor and caring mentor, showing them a path. Dan's colleagues can no longer benefit from Dan's friendship, insights and scholarly scholarly discussions and debates. Ruth and I have been deprived of our son, who has been taken away from us so suddenly and totally against life's schedule. Ben and Lincoln must go through life without their father, who loved them with all his deeds. The boys have been deprived of their father's entire family after Ben's murder. we have no idea of what these two boys know or have been told about Danny's death. They truly believe I truly believe that they have been brainwashed in all these years from the ages of three and four years of age to the present day. I also have no idea what the boys know of us, the entire Markell family, our history, etc., and especially <clears throat> How much we all love them, and how we wish they were active part of our family. Both Ruth, <clears throat> sorry.
5: Both Ruth
0: and I are approaching 80 years of age. At this moment, we are healthy, but one does not know what tomorrow brings. The wheels of justice turn very, very slowly. But so far, we're very grateful that they're still 30. We're very grateful to Tallahassee Law Enforcement, to the state attorney, and all their staff. To all our relatives and friends, including the hundreds of Danny's friends and colleagues around the world, for their constant support over these long 10 years. To all the podcasters who worked hard to keep alive this unbelievable story. We are still waiting for Benjamin Lincoln to have a more normal relationship with the Markell family as we wait in pain and anguish. The Adelson family, in particular, Charlie Adelson, has been a major cause of our heartbreak and the murder of our son, Danny, and the loss of our two grandsons. I have suffered tremendously, and we as a family continue to suffer. It is satisfying to see justice being done, and it would be appropriate to ask for the maximum sentence for the perpetrators of Danny's murder. Thank you.
3: Today is a good day. Thank you, Mr. Markell. Was there anything else that you wish to say as a part of your victim impact?
4: I'm oh, i <laughs>
3: Ms. Kappelman.
4: You me. Um, we do have some letters which we submitted to the court as your honor received those and had an opportunity to review them.
3: I did. I was able to review the letters. They were also a part of the pre-sentence investigation packet, which will be filed in the court file as well.
4: Yes, sir. Nothing further regarding victim
3: impact. What is the state's exactly. argument with regard to sentence, at least as it concerns, counts two and three?
4: In regards to counts two and three, your honor, we are seeking the maximum sentence. We're asking for a consecutive 30-year sentences on both of those. I have prepared a score sheet in reference to those. May I approach?
3: You may. Have you already showed the score sheet, Mr. Rushbaugh?
0: So, but I'll yes. <clears throat>
3: Does the state have any further presentation to make?
4: The only other matter... a brief statement. Go ahead. The only other matter, Your Honor, is that in reference to costs of prosecution, we've been attempting to gather up some of the
6: necessary financial paperwork
4: from the FBI and TPD and my office as well to see if we can come to an agreement with the defense on what cost of prosecution should be ordered in this case. We have not been able to do that yet. Um, so I would ask for your honor to reserve that issue for 90 days as um, possible. As I said, we can reach an agreement on it, but if not, I would ask for a hearing sometime around 90 days to make a determination about cost of prosecution.
0: Rashbaum, do you have
3: any argument to make on behalf of your client as to counts two or three?
1: Judge, we understand the situation. We just asked that those counts be run concurrently.
3: Very well. Mr. Adelson, I'm going to give you the opportunity to make a statement if you wish. You do not have to speak. However, this is your opportunity if you choose to do so.
0: I do. You may stand. Same. I would just like to say that I maintain my innocence.
3: Well, please rise. I'm now going to pronounce the sentence. With the jury having found you guilty of all three counts that you were charged with in your indictment, of first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and solicitation to commit first-degree murder. I am going to adjudicate you guilty of all three at this time, and you are going to be sentenced as follows. As to count one, the first-degree murder count pursuant to section 782.04 and 775.0824 statutes you are sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of release or parole. As to count two, you are going to be sentenced consecutively to 30 years in the Department of Corrections for conspiracy to commit first degree murder. As to count three, you are going to be sentenced to 30 years in the Department of Corrections consecutively for solicitation to commit first degree murder. The credit for time served that applies in this matter is how much?
6: Five hundred ninety-seven. Five hundred
3: ninety-seven days will be applied as credit for time served in this case. If the clerk could please read all fees and costs that would apply as well. Two
6: thousand one hundred dollars as a fine pursuant to court statute seven seven five point zero three. One hundred five dollars as a five percent surcharge. Required by Florida Statute 938.04, $20 of the court cost pursuant to Florida Statute 938.06, Crime Suffrage Trust Fund, $3 of the court cost pursuant to of Statute 938.01, Subsection 1, Criminal Justice Trust Fund, $50 pursuant to Florida Statute 938.03, Crime Compensation Trust Fund, $225 pursuant to of Statute 938.05, Local government criminal justice trust fund, $2 as a court cost percent for statute 938.15, County Criminal Justice Education, County Code 7-26, $50 is a court cost percent for the statute 775.083, subsection two, county crime prevention, three dollars as a court cost percentage for statute 938.19, City Floor Assessment, North County Florida Code 7-28. $65 is a four cost percentage of 9, and county additional four costs, county code 7-24, with a total
3: of 2,623. Mr. Rashma, is there any lawful objection for you to raise to the assessment as announced by the clerk? No your honor. Those amounts will be assessed at this time. Ms. Kappelman, I will reserve 90 days of jurisdiction to address the cost of prosecution in this case. By statute, the state is entitled to the 100, but this is in excess of the 100 is what you're referring to. Yes, your honor. Very well. 30 days to appeal both your conviction and now your sentence, Mr. Adelson, you are going to be fingerprinted today, and from here, you are going to be sent to the Department of Corrections to begin serving your sentence. Mr. Rauschbaum, if you please can timely file the notice of appeal, so that way there is no issues regarding any review of the conviction itself. Does either party have anything further to raise to the court before we finish for today?
4: Nothing from the state.
3: No, Your Honor. We are in recess. Mr. and Mrs. Markell, have a good day. Thank you for being available so you can provide your victim impact statements.
1: Have a good day. Thank you, Your Honor. Mm And that's a wrap let's keep an eye on this for a few moments as you can see charlie is handcuffed and leg shackled with a him you can take
3: this this is the precepts
0: investigation information. Uh, <laughs> two count
3: one
1: Karen, is he being fingerprinted right there
2: <laughs> yes yes that's standard any type of conviction for a felony they'll they'll do that right there they may they may take a dna swab right there as well um well they might do that later but that's all well, very much standard
1: he is now property of the state of Florida. just a number yeah, <clears throat> no, a walk- no surprises,
2: but still when that hammer drops and that gate that gate slams shut I mean it's still a uh, it sends a chill down your spine hmm.
1: It's going to be the last time you see Charlie Adelson for a long time. Uh, Jeremy, we're going to get to the victim impact statement in a second. If anyone has uh, questions for Jeremy, uh, please put the triple Qs and caps so I can catch it in this stream. But um, did anything there at all surprise you uh, in this sentencing hearing?
2: No, I just think the the gravity of it just impresses no matter what. I, I don't think there is anything unexpected there. Uh, I didn't see Judge Everett departing in any way from what the state was asking for with consecutive terms. I think if uh, if there were any case uh, that presented aggravating factors to justify consecutive sentences, I think this was it. Um, but just the, the the weight of that moment you know when they say the hammer drops so that's what they mean when they say the the gate slams shut on somebody you know that's what it that's what it means but i detected a little bit of defiance still with him you know i think he he was determined probably to project an image that this wasn't really affecting him and that one last word of defiance i maintain my innocence you know was i think the message that he uh, calculated to send to to the world uh you know, not what I would really advise him to have done, but that's that's what he chose to do.
1: And I want to get to uh more importantly, Phil Markell's statement, but also to what Charlie had to say in defiance. Um let's play that. I have a thought from Charlie's statement. Um, we will play that back in a moment. Uh, this comment here, I think we heard the judge say there's 30 days for uh to file an appeal. Tell us about that, Jeremy.
2: And that's standard in all convictions in Florida. And it's, you know, pretty routine in a case like this, it's going to be appealed, you know, and, and it goes from the circuit court, the trial court, up to the district court of appeals in Florida. Uh, There are now six and it'll take, you know, many months. The Florida attorney general's office will represent the state Um, more than likely, Charlie will have a new attorney that will actually draft the appeal and they'll go through the trial in search of errors. They will argue that the court made errors that uh, deprived him of a right to a a fair trial or violated the law in some way. And I don't expect that to, you know, go anywhere. Uh, If he loses at the district court of appeals, which I fully expect he would, he could appeal to the Supreme court and, uh, If he has grounds to do so, but it's standard in any kind of murder case, they're going to try to attack the
1: the uh, the conviction in that way. Uh, Jeremy from Crunchy Frog, and I promise we will get into some of the uh, context of the uh, victim impact statement by Phil Markell. Why was the death penalty off the table for this case, Jeremy?
2: I don't think the state believed that could prove enough of the aggravating factors um, in in a case like this. Um, You know, death penalty in Florida really is for the most heinous of crimes in the sense of the way it's carried out, Um, you know, and and something like, you know, murder of a child or something like that. The aggravating factors have to outweigh the mitigating factors in a case in order to get the death penalty. And it's really rarely achieved in Tallahassee. Um, We were talking before the show about Gary Michael Hilton, the serial killer, who Decapitated a victim, a local school teacher, and of course, there you have enough aggravating circumstances. And I know some people listening to this would think, "Well, they they killed a man and, and deprived him of his children. Why wouldn't that be enough?" Um, but the factors are such that it really has to be something like you know serial killer type stuff, you know, really brutal type behavior to to get there to tip it over. Mm-hmm. And so, the state, I think. You know, wisely didn't do didn't seek it. It, it complicates the trial immensely if if, they, if it is a death
1: case. Uh, by the way, tonight seven p.m. Eastern Time, uh, Stephen Webster and Louis Baptiste. Uh, Stephen Webster was Dan Markell's post-divorce attorney, and Louis Baptiste was a student of Dan Markell. No two better people. They will be joining our show tonight at seven, and I'm hoping Captain Tommy Scoville, who spent time. Uh, in prison, a significant amount of time for bank robberies to tell us about Charlie's future days. Uh, The three of them will be on the show 7 p.m. Eastern time. Tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern, a show simply called Justice for Dan Markell. Uh, We've invited the original YouTubers. uh, It's a holiday season. Uh, Carl Steinbeck can't be with us, but the other original YouTubers will be here tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern. Please join us to uh, show support for Justice for Dan Markell. And then Thursday, a really interesting show at 7 p.m. Eastern time. We have a digital forensics expert coming on from Tallahassee with two others, one currently working for the Department of Defense. He comes on uh, sort of anonymously, um, and another is a professor in digital forensics. And they're going to talk specifically about what's going on with Harvey and Donna's devices, their iPads, their iPhones, uh, how how they can be cracked, how this investigation is proceeding. That's what could blow this case wide open. So the next set of shows really interesting in this case, obviously far from over with Harvey Adelson still out there and Wendy Adelson still out there and many thinking that uh, they could, in fact, uh, be next. We're going to get to Charlie Adelson in a moment. Um, of course, he can appeal his sentence. That's another question. This is one I was curious about. You had to be fingerprinted initially. Is this a different set of fingerprints, Jeremy?
2: It is. You know, it goes with the judgment and sentence that actually goes in the court file, and it's the the record that's preserved, you know, forever uh, for for a felony conviction. Um, but yes, they will book you when you're arrested. They'll fingerprint you. But this is the actual conviction. This is the official uh, thing that you know. In some cases, people who aren't serving life, they get out and, you know, they commit another crime and, you know, this is the conviction that proves they had a prior felony when that's, when that's necessary in, uh, in the circuit court.
1: Cat's attic making a great point. Jeremy is nice and generous, given so much of his time to share his thoughts about such an important moment, a true Southern gentleman stepping in for Tim Jansen. A lot of people asking about Tim. Tim is a uh, full-time attorney as is Jeremy and he had some, uh, court, uh, proceedings to deal with. So Tim will be back but uh no one better than Jeremy uh to be here with us. Um could Jeremy could Charlie be a witness at Donna's trial? Is that a possibility?
2: It's possible, you know, if he was listed by her attorney to try to to help her out. Um you know, I'd never want to rule it out because this case has had so many twists and turns to it. Um it'd seem unlikely, uh, but we've had surprises before, you know, the, the turn of events with Katie cooperating. So, uh, it's possible, you know, he can't really face any more exposure if he were to take the stand and, and say, you know, I did all this, I planned it, uh, mom didn't have anything to do with it. You know, he can't, he can't get
1: tried again for murder. Mm. Sadie here. Uh, Jeremy, if Charlie was to flip, what is the best sentence you think he could get?
2: Oh, I would say the state would have absolutely no interest in in cutting any kind of deal with him. You know, it's unlikely they'll even do a deal with Katie after her cooperation. And and you could say there, well, maybe maybe morally, do they do they owe her something? Do they, uh, you know, should they give her something at, uh, a reduction of her sentence? They may not, but I'd say they they definitely wouldn't be interested in Charlie, even if he. You know, even if he did a an eight hour video um, confession to it, you know, I don't know that they would even uh, think for a second to to give him anything but life in prison.
1: And, uh, Jeremy, you know, North Florida. Well, where do you think he's going to spend? He's going to go to a reception area now for a couple of weeks, like an intake facility. Um, Just walk us through the next steps and then he'll go to his uh, next home state prison. Where does he wind up, do you think, Jeremy? Well, you know, the
2: oftentimes the defense will ask the court to recommend their client be housed as close to home as possible. You know, in his case, close to South Florida as possible, you know, and, but it's based on where the, the prison system has a bed for him. Um, they'll try. They would try to do it. They would try to get him as close to possible. But his attorney didn't ask for it in this case. Um, I wonder why. I, I don't know why. Uh, But he'll go to the Northwest Florida Reception Center, which is a a big facility near Chipley, Florida, actually where I where I practice law. Um, The prison, it's, you know, really a, a very orderly, clean place, but it's it's prison It is not fun. It's not pleasant. And I think, you know, every time those every single set of bars that slam shut on him, it's he's further gone down this path. But they process him there. They classify him there. They, they determine you know, the level of risk that he is and where they're going to place him. They also may have to factor in security risks to him if if they feel like the Latin kings are going to be mad at him. Uh, I don't know that they really would uh, one way or the other, but the prison is responsible for his safety. And so they may factor that in. He could go to a smaller prison up in the, the northern part of the state, maybe to try to keep him um isolated from some of that. Um, you know, it's depends totally on the the space that the prison has. Um they might do some sort of interstate compact if there's truly a threat to him from his his testimony, who he is, and they may trade him, they may swap him with an inmate from another state who has a a problem. So you know it it'll it'll be interesting to see exactly. And you know, you can go on the website in Florida and for the most part, you can you can ultimately see where the inmate is being housed and what facility based on their name and so forth. Um, so he'll he'll now no longer be a periodontist. He'll no longer be the maestro. He'll be an inmate with a number.
1: Yeah, he lost his uh, dental license, by the way. Uh, it was uh, pretty uh, glaring. Charlie. Never mentioned his own son that he has, five years old. Obviously, Phil Markell speaking about Dan, his only son the entire time. Um, Will Charlie immediately get out of the Leon County Jail? So how much longer uh, before he's removed to this intake uh, facility?
2: It may be five days, 10 days. They want to get them out as soon as possible, um, you know, for multiple reasons. One of is just they don't want to have to pay to house somebody who's now a responsibility of the state to house, feed, and clothe. Um, so they'll they'll have a van or a bus that will pick him up and probably be on I-10, head into uh,
1: further into the panhandle over in Chipley to the reception center. Uh, and that'll probably be some of the last uh, daylight he sees for a long time uh, on that bus ride. So let's get to the most important thing here. This, of course, is Phil Markell, who I now consider a friend and just a stand-up guy. He started his victim impact statement um, saying Dan was my only son. Uh, Husbands back then were not allowed in delivery rooms. Uh, Times definitely changed. I was in delivery room for the birth of all three of my kids, but uh, back then you weren't allowed. This was 1971, but their friend was the gynecologist, led him in. He said it was the most amazing experience of his life. Uh, he'd never forget this gift of life. It was pure joy, sheer joy. He said that Danny had tremendous energy, lived life to its fullest, dedicated himself wholeheartedly to everything he did. And I know Phil Markel, uh, both Phil and Ruth are originally from Montreal and uh, all around Canada, but particularly in in Montreal, Quebec. Hockey is life there. And uh, Phil Markel was a diehard hockey player growing up. And he said his own son loves hockey and he wanted speed skating lessons. So he uh, had this tough Russian coach. And after every lesson, there was always this red face because Danny gave it his all. I'm getting goosebumps now. Let's hold it there, Uh, Jeremy, to you. You know, I've got my own young son, two daughters. But, you know, anytime I think about my son, I get so proud, you know, um, I'm a lefty. He's the only other lefty in the family. He's starting to learn how to dribble a basketball. But you could you could feel that fatherly love. Um, Very much so. Yeah. Did it, did it touch you? And um, do you think it affected Charlie in any way?
2: It was a soul-wrenching statement. And I think uh, you can't listen to that without being moved and uh, just struck by father's love and to start at infancy like that the enormous magnitude that you can almost not put into words the loss and i think he i think he you know fully beautifully represented the impact on the entire family um you know parents aren't supposed to bury their child and that's a fundamental almost like a law of the universe it doesn't matter what your what your faith is uh, your background, your ethnicity. that's just something a human, you're not supposed to have to bury your child. Um, they're supposed to to bury you after a life fully lived. Um, hard to say if it had any impact on Charlie or what that impact was. It, it didn't seem to visibly outwardly. Um, you know and I think we can we can estimate or, or speculate on what his psychological uh, makeup is whether he has any empathy or much empathy for anybody else. I think a lot of it, you know, we may never see or know. He was trying to put on an outward face of of sort of toughness and resilience in the courtroom. But some of the things that also struck me very powerfully from what Mr. Markell said was, they have no relationship with the boys. Mm -hmm. And even to change their name. And it struck me very powerfully when he put that into words. I mean, we've talked about that over the years that that was a crass thing. That was a, you know, a bad thing that Wendy did. But to hear those words come out of Phil Markell's mouth, you know, erased their son and, and to add insult to injury, take away that name uh, from the boys. And then he also said that they have no idea what those boys know, um, that they may not know any of the truth. They may not know anything about the Markell family. And, uh, and you just think about how important it is to at least know a little bit about your family, where you come from, you know, and particularly when you don't have your father there with you, but you could at least draw upon, this is my family. This is where we, we came from. This is our history, you know, and I know one thing that was important to Dan was the fact that his mother had a Holocaust ring. What did those boys know about that? important history that that is so important uh, to their family story. I'm not sure they know anything about that at this point.
1: And uh, Wendy never returned that. That was a family heirloom um, in the divorce. She kept it, which is kind of a sick thing. My mother's a Holocaust survivor. You guys know that. And uh, to not return that is uh, another level of low. Uh, But Phil Markell went on to say, that at 13, uh, Danny Markell knew he wanted to go to Harvard and he knew it didn't just require good grades because they knew Danny wouldn't have a problem with the grades. And by the way, uh, I've heard firsthand because I know people in the same circles as the Adelson family down here that the boys, Ben and Lincoln, are incredibly smart, incredibly bright boys. And they're having trouble getting into the best schools here because of their last name, ironically. Uh, and I mean Adelson, not Markell. Um, but, He said that Danny became the high school newspaper editor. He went on to Harvard, uh, graduated magna cum laude, which is pretty much as high as you can go. I think summa is the highest. He went to Hebrew University in Jerusalem for a year. Then he got a master's at Cambridge. These are the best schools in the world. Then went to Harvard Law, served as a law clerk in DC. And by the age of 41 was a fully tenured law professor at FSU. He had already written a book and he had already published articles in the New York Times. And then as Phil said, his life was abruptly cut short and he was taken from me. Phil went on to say many nights I wake up in a terrible sweat. There's not a single day where Danny doesn't enter into my thoughts and he has told me this personally and this is so tough he says that people always come up to him and say you know in small talk he's on a golf course he spends time out in California even though he's a canadian and he golfs he's, a, he's an avid golfer and people will come up and say hey how many kids do you have and he, he he tells me and he said in the victim impact statement how do i respond to this how do i explain such a heinous act um that broke my heart too jeremy because it's not just What happened? It is what is happening every day still to the Markells that he's got to live, you know, with this horrific, this horror story, and people remind him of it, you know, not not intentionally because it's it's inevitable, it's unavoidable, and he has to deal with that every day. This horror never ends,
2: and you're never the same. You know, people that I've I've talked to, and you know, and I and I could I could only just sort of attempt to to understand, but from people that I've talked to you, you're never the same, um, your whole perspective, you know, and the only other thing I could maybe liken it to, you know, losing a, losing a child, uh, losing a spouse, maybe going through something like cancer where, you know, your whole life changes. You're, you're not the same in any way going forward. And I, and I'm, and I'm understating that I'm understanding what he is probably feeling. Ruth, his sister, um, you know, the, the enormity of it. And, and you're right. It's every, almost every conscious moment, probably. Mm.
1: Uh, let's go to some questions and then we'll pick back up with uh Phil's victim impact statement. I want to get through that. Uh Can Wendy, I know you're not a family court guy, um, Jeremy, but can Wendy legally stop the boys from going to the Markells if she was to be arrested? A bigger picture here is there is a real reality right now that something, you know, that Wendy could be taken into custody. The same, we don't know, it might never happen, but it could happen and it could happen soon. Um, Jeremy, what do you think would happen to these young boys? There's an excellent organization, by the way, down here in South Florida called Jafco, where uh, Ruth will be speaking. I'll be moderating with Dave Arenberg and the Florida state attorney and Dennis Murphy of Dateline. That's going to be December 20th, next Wednesday. If you're in South Florida, please get your tickets for that. But, um, JAFCO is one of the organizations I, I know could take the children in, but how real is this, Jeremy? How 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 much of a plan needs to be in place for these young boys who are not that, I mean, they're young boys, but they're 13, 14. They're not, you know, two and three anymore.
2: Well, you know, it is difficult for grandparents to uh, get custody in a situation like this, but in Florida, there is a mechanism, I petitioned by, uh, a, a, t- a petition for temporary custody by extended family member. And so a grandparent can very much avail themselves of that. If a parent is arrested, is no longer able to care for the children, um, a grandparent can step in, file the petition and get temporary custody of them. That's one method. The, the Markel, the bill that passed you know, in recent years to give grandparents more visitation may, if not give precedent for a court to intervene, at least give some moral weight to a court um, and family law, you know, it's uh, very much controlled by statute and so forth, but the courts still do have a lot of power to to do the right thing in a case like this. And so I think they have a mechanism to do something. You know, they probably they've probably already thought this through and consulted with an attorney in the area that could file something quickly uh, on their behalf if that should happen. You know, I know that was a controversy earlier in the case because uh, Ruth Markell coordinated with Georgia Kaplan for in the event something happens, you know, she doesn't want the boys to go to foster care. So she's trying to line up something that if that happened, you know, we have this in place. And and you're right. There are some really good foster care um, providers that would step in, you know, maybe for a few hours or a day for in order for families to actually get there for the Markells to actually get to the area to, to get the boys and to care for them. Um, But I think, you know, most judges in the state of Florida would be very receptive to a motion, a petition by extended family member for custody in this situation. And and I think they have a, they would have a shot at it. And uh, you know, hopefully that would go smoothly and, and quickly for the boys should that happen.
1: Uh, Lisa in the lab with an interesting question being that between Charlie's conviction and Donna's arrest, Charlie and Donna spoke for 35 hours. That's more than five hours a day on recorded jailhouse calls. Can Charlie and Donna ever talk again on a call or not because of co conspiring? Uh, what do you say, Jeremy? Will they be able to speak again?
2: My understanding of it at the moment is the order, the trial order says they can't have contact. Um, could their attorneys file a motion on their behalf later to allow them some limited contact? That's possible.
1: How about this from, uh, Tal, Tal Legal. Can you explain the mention of the cost of prosecution by the state? Might the Adelson's be held financially liable for these? Uh, yes. And Florida is a little different from some
2: jurisdictions and maybe some countries that, um, Not only are there fines for committing for their punishment for fines that you're uh, awarded uh, imposed upon you for punishment, but the cost of the prosecution itself, like how much it costs to investigate the case, to actually try it and do all the things that the state did to present the case to the jury. And the state will tally that up and and present an itemized list of what hours were spent. And they'll try to get the, the defendant to pay it standard rate in Florida for most cases is $100. So if if I commit a felony shoplifting, I'm sentenced, I get fined, but then I have to pay the state $100 to help reimburse those costs. And this was back when the, there's real budget problems about 15 years ago so the legislature created this. But a case like this is more unusual. You, you know, you blow through $100, you know, that was going the first hour of this. We're talking probably Fifty, seventy-five, hundred thousand dollars of costs of prosecution that they want to um, get a, at least a judgment against Charlie because he has a lot of money. You know, average person that's convicted of a felony, the state's not going to go to that trouble. Uh, they're not going to go to just get a judgment that's going to sit there and never be paid. But he's got some assets, so they're going to try to do this.
1: Yeah, there was a point in the trial where they said that I think between 2014 and 2018, as a periodontist, which is next to impossible if you're just a periodontist, Charlie was making between or somewhere around 3.2 or 3.4 million dollars a year for those four years. So they were once a family of uh, great means. Uh, I think that is diminishing very quickly with all these legal fees. Um, For Monique Dawn, we'll couple these two questions together. What are his chances of winning any appeal, followed by this, Jeremy? What would it benefit, Charlie, to testify against Wendy? He's already been sentenced now, so how could he benefit?
2: Well, I'd say his chances of an appeal, uh, winning an appeal, are low. Um, From everything I saw, Judge Everett made very sound legal decisions. Uh, But there may be some things. He may have sustained objections or... uh, Allowed in certain evidence that the state wanted in, that they will they will file a brief and they will brief those issues, Uh, but I don't expect it to go anywhere. Uh, It's almost a de rigueur thing that you have to do. Now, in terms of why would he testify against Wendy? I don't think he would. You know, if there were some chance that he could uh, whittle some time off his sentence, you know, that might give him a a reason to. you know, I don't really see him doing that, though. I think his defiance in, court to, in the courtroom today in his statement, uh, I don't expect him to do that. you know, could somebody be so craven that they would, you know, flip on their own sister? But, you know, again, I don't think the state is really looking to make him any deals at this point.
0: Uh,
1: Julia. Uh, very
3: well. Mr. Adelson, I'm going to give you the opportunity to make a statement if you wish. You do not have to speak. However, this is your opportunity if you choose to do so. I do.
0: You may stand. Same. I would just like to say that I maintain my innocence. Well.
1: DoE having none of it. She just put that right up, didn't tell anyone, didn't ask anyone. She wanted her soundbite played. So we will go to Charlie Adelson. Uh, He simply said, I maintain my innocence. I had to use my fingers. That's four words, Jeremy. Um, Since an appeal is automatic, how do you recommend a defendant to be apologetic or express sorrow? This looked like he was literally just making a statement to protect himself in the case of an appeal obviously emotionless, obviously hollow, obviously unsympathetic, obviously unapologetic. How do you see it, Jeremy?
2: I agree with that. And I think you could do both. Potentially you can appeal, you know, you could, you could scour the trial transcript for possible errors and appeal that, but you could still also express some empathy in your, your statement there. He could have said, you know, I feel that it was a tragedy. What happened to Dan Markell? I'm a father too. Um, I feel, you know, what happened was horrible. I'm asking the court's mercy. He could have showed a little bit more empathy, a little bit more humility. He could have mentioned his son, as you mentioned, as you noticed, he could have actually asked the court for mercy. Um, I don't know that it helps him or hurts him in terms of his appeal saying this, because that appeal is going to be based on just the record of the trial and the evidentiary rulings that the court made. Um, but, I think for him, it's just important to keep projecting that image of I'm innocent. I didn't do this psychologically, publicly and and everything else, why he would continue to do that. And, you know, some people will never admit
1: what they did. And uh, I don't really expect that he would at any point. Yeah. And I've talked to people very close to the case and they tell me that Charlie really believes in his own innocence, that he was actually extorted, which I and now labeling the O.J. factor where you tell yourself something so much that you actually begin to believe it. And I think that in his own twisted, demented mind, because I have no doubt that he was behind this, that somehow he's telling himself he didn't do this. Um, Mary Griffin, can Dan Rashbaum now represent Donna? He didn't meet with Donna. He made that publicly uh, known. What's going on there? Wouldn't that be a conflict of interest? Explain that, Jeremy.
2: I think it technically could Um, that's a little bit of a gray area. That's, that's kind of a little bit of a head scratcher there. You know, if Charlie's um, interests are adverse to Donna's or Donna's are adverse to his, you know, he can't represent them both, but one attorney can represent co-defendants. You know, it it can be, it can be something that the clients waive. Um, I don't really expect that to happen. And I, I don't know why she would do it if if she were inclined to. I think it's maybe time to try something different uh,
1: if I were her. Uh, Jazzy G, this is a very sensitive topic, Jeremy. I don't want you getting blasted with hate mail. Is there enough evidence against Wendy? We've had some attorneys say no, not according to the law. But uh, what do you think at this point? And we also, by the way, do not know um the circumstances of what evidence is going to be found or has been found on these devices. That's why we're doing the show on Thursday night about digital forensics. And I am not T Pain, always having everyone's back. The the meme queen is here. Get yourself a copy of Jeremy Mutz's book, The Chance I'll take on Amazon. And there is the uh the link to the book. But um Wendy, what do you think, Jeremy?
2: You don't know, I've struggled with that question of Wendy over the years. I really have in the beginning. I and I watched her, her uh, performance and in the interrogation the interview with Craig Isom a number of times. And it took me a while to really come to the conclusion that that was a lot uh, contrived, a lot that was contrived to it. I think they're just close to having enough. And I think amongst all the communications that they have that we, I don't think we've seen all of it. The new stuff that's coming from the phones, you know, they may have enough. And it seems to be their strategy just to go one at a time, one shoe drop at a time. You know, I think they were prepared, obviously, to go forward on Donna. I think she accelerated the timeline herself by attempting to flee. You know, it would not surprise me at all that they feel like you know, shortly before Donna's tried, they may go ahead with Wendy. Um, they may be trying to sift through some of these new things. They may be waiting on her to make more calls and communications. And I, I think it, it's certainly possible. I think they're just close to it, to having enough. Um, I don't know that I would want to to pull the lever right now on charging her because I, I have some lingering concerns that many things are circumstantial. Many things are explainable. Like even knowing Dan's schedule uh, on the face of it, that seems incriminating. Why was she trying to ferret out where he's going to be that week? But what, what does she have to say when she's in trial? What does her attorney have to say? They had two children in common. Of course she needs to know about his schedule for where the kids are going to be. So, I think they're they're close to threading this together and weaving it together, but I think they just need a little bit more, and we may be looking at her being charged in the next couple of years. Um, I don't see it on Harvey unless they have something else that's, you know, enough, because it's not enough just to think somebody knew about something. Did they take some sort of concrete action in furtherance of the conspiracy to either assist it being carried out or to cover it up after the fact, and I and I don't know that Harvey just talking about it or or knowing about it, finding out about it is enough on him. I don't think it's even close on, on his. But I think on Wendy, it's 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 getting to be close to the ballpark. It's getting to be close to where you
1: know the state could the state could hit this thing. You know, and uh, Jeremy speaking as an attorney, not with emotion like a lot of us do. Uh, Let's take a break from the heaviness for a moment from Mish in Cape Town, South Africa. How come Jeremy has the best accent and voice I might add, but Jeremy, where did you actually grow up where you get an accent like this?
2: Well, largely in the panhandle. Uh, My dad was in the, in the military, but we, we ended up settling in uh, the Fort Walton beach area, the Okaloosa County area, which is over uh, to the West of of the state. And, um, you know, I've lived all my life in, uh north florida and tallahassee and so uh it's just it kind of seeps into you and uh <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: a cool accent gen x granny jeremy's book don't call it murder there's the link where you can find it don't call it murder you can you know just put it into amazon and find it there um jeremy what do you think will there be um an outpouring of pressure for wendy to give the Markels more access to the to the boys it's very timely cuz I think they're, they are supposed to meet with the boys as soon as next week. And one of the things that Ruth Markell has done on our show is to basically ask, because they literally don't know what's going on. They were asking for help from people down here who might know what's going on. So if anyone has information, surviving the survivor at Gmail, surviving the survivor at Gmail, I also tweet out at podcast STS at podcast STS and on Instagram at surviving the survivor. You can reach me all those ways. If you have any info about Ben and Lincoln, but um, what do you think she's in a, between a rock and a hard place. Her family is now falling like dominoes, but publicly she's got to be careful. Do you think, do you think this visit that's scheduled happens? If you had a guess, you
2: know, I think it would be to her advantage to do so, you know, it's a really a touchy area, and Phil Markell talked about it that he thought that she allowed some appearance of visitation in order to improve her public image and maybe make it where the state was less likely to go after her. Um, I think she may reasonably be calculating right now, you know, does it help me, you know, avoid being charged? Um, I'll tell you, if I was her attorney, I would say, you know, facilitate the contact. I mean, you. Um, are making yourself look like a villain. And and some of that public perception is important, but I think number one, it's the right thing, you know, and she could allow Skype free Skype access and, and contact with their grandparents and their, uh, their, their aunt and their cousins. And whenever they're in town to, to allow them freely to get to know their family. And she just needs to, to open up the door to that. Um, And I'll tell you, I think it, you know, could only make her look worse to avoid it. Um, It could only possibly help her with the state if they have to evaluate what's the best thing. Because it is a concern of mine that if I'm the prosecutor, do I charge Wendy? And then do I further hurt those boys by, you know, not only their father is gone, but we've locked up, you know, all the family that they really have been allowed to know you know, these past, this past decade. And it's a big concern. And if I have a mother that's actually allowing them to repair those ties, that might be something I look at, but it's touchy for her because I think she's in the circle of the wagons mentality. And I think she'll probably, she'll probably still kind of play games with this. She'll try to have the appearance of letting contact, but still be very guarded because she's worried about what the boys know. You know, and it's like an abusive relationship in the sense that if I'm the abuser, I'm going to control the access to the to my my significant other. I don't want other people communicating with them because they'll they'll know that I'm lying. They'll know that I'm abusive. The the uh, the wool is lifted from their eyes, you know, and they know what's going on. And so I think she she's probably very hesitant to allow that to allow them to know the truth, because then the lid comes off. And they start asking, you know, why did my uncle and my grandmother kill my dad?
1: Uh, One more question, and we'll get back to the impact statement. Then we'll start to wrap up from Christina C. uh, Interesting question. Jeremy, have you ever seen a defendant admit guilt at sentencing when given the chance to make a statement? Occasionally, you know, know, never
2: on something this serious. Um, But strange things happen in a a courtroom. and, And I have seen that. You know, I, I don't know. I can't recall a murder case in recent years where that's happened.
0: Um, certainly, How
1: yeah. How about this from Bill Davis with the super sticker? Wouldn't testifying against Wendy destroy any chances of an appeal since you would have to admit culpability to testify against her? It gets tricky there. It gets tricky. Remember when we when Katie uh,
2: testified, she was talking about certain things that she testified to. And those differed markedly with the things she was raising on appeal. And Mr. Rashbound really, you know, went after her on cross-examination for that. Um, but it's common in, in a courtroom to kind of argue from both sides of your mouth. And, and sometimes it's necessary. You know, sometimes you have to uh, argue, well, I didn't do it, but, well, if I did it, it was self-defense or things like that. You know, and, and it can be contradictory. Mm.
1: So back to the victim impact statement, Um, and this is the part that Jeremy, thank you, Joyful, for the super sticker. It's part that Jeremy already talked about, very important. Um, Phil Markell says, we still don't have a real relationship with our grandchildren, Ben and Lincoln. In the last six years, they were only allowed two short visits. He says they effectively lost our two grandchildren as well. Even the names, as if it wasn't bad enough, were changed to Adelson for Markell, He said this is the first time that we hear an Adelson mentioned in this uh, victim impact statement. And I was paying attention to this. He says, in my opinion, Wendy was more focused on improving her own public image. And then he mentions the Adelson's again. He said the Adelson's went on to have Ben's bar mitzvah without the Markels. The boys must go through life without their father. Uh, We have no idea what these two boys know. I truly believe that they have been brainwashed. This is the only time he mentions Charlie right here. Charlie Adelson has been a major cause of our heartache. I repeat that. Charlie Adelson has been a major cause of our heartache. We continue to suffer. It is appropriate to ask for the max sentence. Today is a good day. Uh, That was a powerful ending, don't you think, Jeremy, for his uh, victim impact statement? It was very powerful, and, and you know some of the things he touched on are things we've talked about over the
2: years uh, in in podcasts and in interviews. But to hear them come from his lips was just extremely uh, significant and poignant. And uh, you know it's it's impossible to listen to his words and and not be touched by them. And like we we started out talking about, you know, he is not a person that's made a lot of public comments, so you take note of it. And I I think it was was even more powerful from that standpoint. It's kind of like the quiet person that when they do speak, you listen to them and they and they usually have something important to say. And he certainly
1: had. I must have missed this. But uh, Sadie says, why did Daniel Rashbaum apologize to the court for how he spoke to Katie, who who told him to do that? He did get a little volatile with. uh, And again, Daniel Rashbaum, um, he is a good guy. Uh, he is not a bad human being. He just had a very difficult job with bad facts. And uh, this is the job of criminal defense attorneys. And uh, I think this was actually bothering him. But I missed this. Did you catch this, Jeremy? I did. I did notice that. And, and he
2: may have done something similar on another occasion as well. I think that's just his personality. He he sort of gave that kind of apology for he was getting passionate. He, he cares about what he was doing. And so he said, you know, if I got a little heated, I, I apologize or something like that. And, uh, and I think that's just his personality. He's, he seems like a nice gentleman. And, uh, you know, sometimes in, in the heat of battle, you, you get a little bit, go a little further than you wanted. Or, or maybe you had to go that far, but you still, you don't want to beat up somebody. And, and I don't think he really wants to beat up somebody, but he had to do, he had to do his job. And I think that's kind of what he, what he meant
1: by that. Super low blow for from Big Gums. Jeremy, I don't think you witnessed this, but on one of the other shows, we had video of me destroying my wife in a race up a short hill. Uh, and Big Gums says the wheels of justice turn slower than Joel runs. Um I I, I would advise you, Big Gums, to rewatch that tape till I pulled my hamstring. I was crushing the COE. Uh she claims, she claims that she was winning, but Videotape doesn't lie right Jeremy videotape does not lie
2: pictures worth a thousand words uh but <laughs> you know I, I I dare not say anything I used to be a pretty good runner but
1: not not the last few years there you go uh staying out of uh marital strife here um look at this I'm not T-Pain uh lightening the loop mood for a moment here Joe we all heard your uh out outcri- outward cry of pain uh look at this Luxembourg is in the house uh Truly amazing. Um, this here uh, says it all. Such courage from Phil Markell. God bless the Markells. Again, if you're in South Florida, I'm doing an event with Ruth Markell as the main speaker. Um, It is about trial life, what these families go through, what the uh, victims go through. Uh, That will be in South Florida. I'll post it on my Twitter account at podcast STS and on Instagram at surviving the survivor. And if you can make it next Wednesday, December 20th, we would love to see you there. Um, Tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern, another live show with... Two great attorneys out of Tallahassee and a former inmate. Um, Both of the lawyers have connections to Dan Markell. They'll be on at 7 p.m. Eastern. Tomorrow, the OG YouTubers are coming on to talk about justice for Dan Markell. And Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, we are doing uh, digital forensics. Will that crack the case? Gen X Granny welcoming Annie D. Jeremy Mutz, uh, it was an emotional day, a day where justice was served. Your final thoughts?
2: It really was an emotional day, and, and I don't think we were really surprised by going, and, and we went through the mechanics of this, but but it's so much more than that, to actually hear this from uh, the Markel family and their impact on them. And then finally, you know, it's it's done. The, the door has slammed shut. The bars have slammed shut on Charlie, and, and this chapter of uh, the case is over with. And uh, I certainly hope for, you know, continued uh, success, with the prosecution going forward with Donna and being able to, to try that case successfully and to do what's necessary.
1: Uh, this is, I am not T pain. As I said, always has my back. If you're interested in going to the Miami event mentioned and want to RSV, RSVP for this event, there it is. There's the flyer. Uh, I can't remove that um, comment right now, but please RSVP for this event contact the Jafco Director of Development Operations, Shelly Gold at Shelly at Jafco.org. Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-I for those listening at Jafco, J-A-F-C-O.org. Or you can call 954-315-8671, 954-315-8671. Perspectives on trial life, Dateline NBC's Dennis Murphy will be there with Dave Ehrenberg, the Florida State Attorney. That is next Wednesday. Please join us again live tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. A huge thanks to Jeremy Mutz for stepping in uh, the last two days. Amazing legal analysis. Until tonight, love you, America, and I can file the list. Love you, the Philippines. Love you, Belgium, Kenya, Germany, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, UK, Ireland, Brazil, New Jersey. Senegal, is not exactly the most exotic of these. Morocco, India, Vietnam, and most importantly today, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, the home of the Martels and Dan Martel. Love you all. Justice for Dan Martel. Until 7 o'clock tonight.
5: Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothies, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com ranks all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.